0: Father, we thank you for these words of Jesus, for these actions of Jesus. Help us to see him and to trust him. Amen. Uh, There's a new movie uh, on Netflix uh, we've just seen called Yes Day. Uh, It's about parents who, as a reward, give their kids one day where they'll say yes to any request. Uh, And one of the requests is that they take their car through an automatic car wash. Dad thinks that's a great idea, that's his kind of activity. Until the kids say they have to go through the car wash with the windows down. And of course the car gets flooded and everyone is saturated, they open the doors and this flood comes out. But as they're driving off to their next activity on yesterday, Mum says, an unexpected bonus of a windows down car wash? that mystery smell is finally gone. Now now that's the type of difference Jesus is talking about here in Mark chapter 7 between the religion of the Pharisees and the type of cleaning Jesus offers. Religion that's about keeping rules, that focuses on the outside, on behaviours and actions, how you become unclean and what to do to become clean again. It looks good, like a shiny car that's been through the car wash. But it doesn't do anything for the mystery smell. Somewhere on the inside, the the sinful heart. In some ways it's easy to see how they could get it so wrong. Open your Old Testament to almost any page and you'll see laws, rules that God wants his people to follow. But it wasn't the main point. All the laws about clean and unclean were meant to point to something deeper, to what we're like on the inside. In fact, their purpose was to remind and guide and illustrate what true cleanliness looks like. Repentance and moral purity. That's the priority. That's God's priority, not the external's. Because what we all need is that automatic car wash with the windows down. A deep clean on the inside that only God can do. Only he can clear out that mystery smell. That one that we just can't find and stop. Only he can change our heart. Jesus knew it. But it put him on a collision course with the Pharisees. Chapter 7, verse 1. Jesus is under their scrutiny again. The Pharisees and some teachers of the law who'd come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. Now That's a big no-no at the moment, isn't it? (laughs) You want to make sure you're using the hand sanitizer. But it was even worse in Jesus' day. Whatever you eat, wash your hands first. That's the rule. Come home from the market or from work and you've got to go through a very special ceremonial washing. Verse 3 and 4, Mark gives his own editorial explanation. It's not just hand washing, he says, and they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. Just by the way, that word washing is (laughs) baptised. Such as the baptising of cups, pitchers and kettles. But notice, it's not commanded by God. It's not in the Old Testament at all. You can read every page and you won't find it there. Verse 3 says they hold to the traditions of the elders. These are human rules. They probably began with a good motivation, taking what God had commanded and then adding to it, clarifying it putting boundaries around it to make sure you didn't get close to breaking God's law. But like all religion, it ends up becoming the way you become clean rather than pointing to the cleansing that God does when he forgives your sin. The Pharisees mistake that regular external car wash for something that it's not. They mistake it for a deep, clean, windows-down car wash. And so the Pharisees and the teachers make it their business to decide as they look around who's clean and who's not, who's acceptable and who's not. In verse 5, having watched the disciples do the wrong thing, they ask Jesus the question. They put the challenge to him. Why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands. Now even they recognise that they're only following the traditions. Well, Jesus points out that rather than helping them keep God's commands, the traditions are actually driving them away from obeying God. It's not helping them, it's distracting them. Verse 6, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it's written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. They're distracting them from actually keeping God's commands. Do you see their priority? Lips are more important than heart. Rules taught by men are more important than rules taught by God. Traditions are more important than commands. More important to be seen to be doing the right thing than actually to do it. More important what man thinks than what God thinks. Which makes them hypocrites. They say they obey God, but they're doing the opposite. And what's the result? obvious if you think about it their worship is in vain it's useless they're wasting their time God is not interested in their deeds or their words it's his heart it's their heart that he's interested in and then in verse 9 Jesus gives them an example of how they've they've twisted God's law they knew they were supposed to honour their parents That's as clear as any command in the the Old Testament. The fifth commandment. The first commandment to do with uh, with loving your neighbour. Honour your father and your mother. But the basic problem with that is that people are selfish. They're greedy. They don't want to support their parents. And so the Jews went hunting for a law that would be an excuse. And they found one. It's the, it's the sort of twisted logic a lawyer would be proud of. It, it went something like this. Suppose I had $10,000 that I could use to help mum and dad. But instead, I'm going to pledge it as a gift devoted to God. I'm going to set it up in a trust. Then the law says I can't go back on that promise. And so if dad would come to me and ask, can you help me out? Can you lend me some of that money that you've put away? You could honestly say, look, I'm sorry, I'd love to help, but I've got no spare cash, it's all entrusted to God. You've no intention of actually giving it to God, just entrusting it. It's external things uh, that focus on the letter of the law, but ignore the spirit of the law. Focusing on the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law, which is to honour your parents. And Jesus finishes in verse 13, that's just one example. You want another? I can give you a million. Is it just possible, for example, that church leadership over the last couple of decades has been guilty of something similar? Of being more concerned with the appearance than with the heart? Over the years, there have been countless Countless episodes where there have been rumours or accusations of shameful behaviour, maybe child abuse, domestic abuse, adultery, fraud. And leaders have been more interested in covering up the sin than investigating it. More concerned with protecting the reputation of the church than in actually finding out the truth and calling perpetrators to account, even to the point of uh, encouraging Complainants to withdraw complaints. It's minimising the problem. It's focusing on appearances, on people-pleasing rather than God-pleasing. It's focusing on externals and not getting to the heart of the sin problem. Jesus' condemnation of the Pharisees and the teachers as hypocrites fits quite well, I think, with church leadership like that. Well, Jesus continues. He calls everyone in to listen to his application, verse 14. He says it's not the outside stuff that, that counts, it's the inside that counts. Verse 14 Listen to me, everyone. Understand this nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. The disciples don't understand the parable. In frustration, Jesus says, verse 18, Are you still so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man can make him unclean? For it, goes, it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out his body. He's talking about a different sort of unclean. He's, he's saying you can't affect your soul, your heart, by eating unclean food. The worst it can do is give you food poisoning. No, they just don't get it. And there are lots of people today, including Christians, that think the same thing. They think it's sinful or bad or unclean to, say, smoke cigarettes or, or drink alcohol. That's a, an unclean, sinful thing to do. But they're just health issues. They're not spiritual issues. Perhaps you can think of others. I wondered whether getting tattoos or piercing you know, is, is sort of seen in a, in a similar light. These are a matter of personal taste. It's not about spiritual wrong or right. Jesus' priority is that uh, the things that come from our heart, the things that motivate us, the things that are at the core of our spiritual being, the rotten things that drive us, those are the things that make us unclean because the heart is the source of it all. By the heart... They don't mean the cardiac. Jesus doesn't mean the cardiac muscle. Jesus doesn't mean uh, that source of love, romantic love. That for the for the Hebrew, the heart is is the, the core of your identity. It's what makes you you. It's your nature. And the point is, our natural inclination is to do everything against God. That's our heart. That's what that's what makes us unclean. The problem is not the external things. The problem is what our heart does with those external things. The reality is the world is full of good things. Things that God created for our enjoyment. But we've managed to twist them because our hearts are unclean. To pervert them, to devalue them, to find what is bad in them. And so those good things become sin to us. Like sex. God's wonderful gift, used rightly. It doesn't make you unclean. But the human heart abuses it and uses it outside God's boundaries and it becomes sinful in so many ways. Or food. Or wine. Given by God to gladden man's heart. But abused by us in gluttony and drunkenness and sensual satisfaction. We could say the same thing for all sorts of good things that culture has produced for us. Technology, money, art, music, politics can do do much good, but often devalued and twisted by greed and wickedness. Or sport. Fashion, physical beauty, fitness, relaxation, holidays, rest, wonderful gifts that make life better to be used with thankfulness to God. But in our waywardness, we turn those things into idols that rule our lives. We replace God with them. They're false Havens that we flee to for comfort. It's not the problem of the things outside us, it's the problem of the heart. Mankind is rotten from the inside out. The Pharisees, they could list all the rules of cleanliness, but Jesus has his own list he's interested in. The things that really make you unclean. Uh, have a look at the list there in verse 20. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of man's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. It's a tragic sort of list, isn't it? If you pay attention to it at all, it doesn't take you too long before you realise that, ah, that's me. Ah, that's me. It's not just actions, it's thoughts and attitudes, greed, lewdness, arrogance, envy, and Jesus' implication is clear. This is a list that describes everyone. 100% of people are described by that list. Everybody's heart is like that. And verse 23, the section ends. It's like, hang, hang on a minute, is there a page ripped out? Of, you know, what, what's the answer? You've told me the problem, where's the solution? It's like you read a whodunit and you get to the end and the last page is gone. It's told me what makes me unclean, but I need to know how to make myself clean. If I can't get clean by washing my hands, how can I get clean? If I can't get clean by wearing a mask, how can I get clean? But if we pay close attention to uh, to Mark's story, I think we notice that Mark himself gives us the answer. The two stories that come immediately after this one. What we can't do, Jesus does. The answer is to reach out in faith to the one who can clean the inside. Jesus leaves the Jewish region around Lake Galilee and he heads down to Gentile territory, to Tyre down to the coast, full of unclean non-Jews. And he enters a Gentile house. <laughs> now we just overlook that until we stop and think, and think. hang on a minute, Jews can't go into Gentile houses, they're unclean. Jews would be shocked when they hear that. This is far worse than just not washing your hands. Jesus is in this unclean, gentle house. Before long, word gets out, as it always does, and people swarm. Uh, they need help. They've come to the one who can do something about things that no one else can deal with, including, verse 25, a Greek woman whose daughter has what? An unclean spirit. She begs Jesus to drive out the demon, the only one who can deal with this uncleanness that's on the inside. Jesus tests her, verse 27. First, let the children eat all they want. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Why should I bother helping you, a Gentile, an unclean Gentile, plenty of Israelite children who need help? Give me a reason. And look at her answer. It's an answer that shows that externals don't matter to her. These are the priorities that God himself says, the internal, it's the inside that counts. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. In other words, you're right, I deserve nothing from God, but I'm coming in faith and expectation and gratitude. I'm a dog under the table. I'm happy with crumbs. And Jesus sees behind her comment what no one else can see, faith. He can see the heart. He's not seeing skin colour or nationality or rule keeping or hand cleanness, he's seeing the heart and he heals her, heals the daughter. Same in the next story, verse 31, Jesus leaves Tyre and he heads north to Sidon, another Gentile area where he meets a deaf man who can hardly talk. And his carers beg Jesus to touch him, which Jesus could do but he has something else in mind. For those of us who are preoccupied with external cleanliness, he does just about the dirtiest thing we can think of. For some reason, verse 33, he takes him away from the crowd around the corner, a nice secluded spot maybe to avoid a controversy, or I don't know. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Yeah. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Efatha, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. It's interesting, isn't it? What do you notice when we read that? I bet you focus on the externals. Putting fingers in ears, putting spit in the mouth. But the point is, that's not what makes you unclean we've overlooked the really important action, the really important thing Jesus does. Jesus is the one who can cleanse you for real on the inside. Whether it's deafness or demon possession, or or back in chapter 6 and 5, whether it's death or bleeding, or even if it's just evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and greed. It's your attitudes and behaviours and thoughts that make you unclean. But Jesus can do it. Jesus can forgive and cleanse and give you a new heart. One that can actually please God. Maybe you're like the Pharisees rather than the Greek woman. Maybe you don't think you've got much of a problem. That you're fine. Maybe you're a fine, upstanding, moral person. You're at least considerably better than most people, you know. But those things are just external. Jesus is describing you when he says, For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. Now you may not be all of those things all of the time, but you're some of them. And it's because your heart is unclean. Please don't take it personally, he's describing me too. Be like the Greek woman, come to Jesus who can give you the deep clean that really works. He's the clean one, the one to reach out to if you really want to deal with what's on the inside. Did you notice how the Gentiles respond at the end of chapter 7? They saw it clearly. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. May that be our response too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, another great. Uh, Portrait of Jesus, but also a portrait of us. Uh, please help us not just to see Jesus, but to see ourselves, uh, to recognise that we need the cleansing that Jesus offers. Uh, whether we've been a Christian for half a century, or a Christian for a year, or whether we're not yet Christian, uh, please help us to reach out to Jesus like the woman, uh, like the deaf and mute man. We pray that you would cleanse us and uh, set us free from the guilt and the stain uh, that comes from our sin and our heart. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.